I think sometimes when we're going through a really hard time, it's hard to imagine how we're going to get out of that, how we're going to create a new path forward. But there's always a way. And it's really cool how sometimes one door can close and another door can open and it can end up being something that, like you said, you you had this passion for basketball, but now you have that same passion, but just for something else. And it's really worked out for you. Hey guys, this is Coach K, and you're listening to the Making Changes, Breaking Barriers podcast, where we talk about you. This is about you, your mind, and your path. So welcome back to another episode. This is a guest episode, and I'm really excited to introduce our guest that we have today to all of you. It's been so cool to interview just such a wide variety of people for this podcast, anywhere from professional athletes to doctors to therapists to business owners. And today we're going to get to hear from a business owner, actually, who I know from growing up in high school in my hometown. And we've just kind of stayed connected through social media. And she's doing really, really cool things in the animal world. So I'm going to go ahead and just start off by giving a bio for our guest today. And then we will just jump right into it. So Kate Lendrum is the owner of Hollow Start Canine, which is a dog training business that Kate funded in 2020. So like I said before, yeah, Kate and I actually met in high school. We both played high school basketball, and so that's how we know each other. But actually, after Kate's basketball career ended due to medical reasons, which I think we're going to get into a little bit more today, I'm curious about that. But she thought her life was over, which she admits even feels a little bit dramatic, but it was really the truth at the time. That's how she felt. It was this hard time that allowed Kate to find her love for dogs and training owners. She found the same passion she had for basketball come back through her newfound career. Kate has a very different story when it comes to dog training than other trainers, though. She decided she actually wanted to be a dog trainer before she even had her own dog, which is not not always common for this business. Kate actually started an internship at a kennel, and then after that experience, she decided to get her own dogs. So after getting a few years of hands-on training experience, Kate started her own company called Hollow Start Canine at a time where she had no other job to fall back on. Her only option was to make it work, so she went all in, and now her business is thriving. Hollow Start Canine is starting to grow a very strong social media presence as we speak, which is allowing her to also help people all over the world train their dogs. So not only just where she's at, but all over the world, which is super cool. So with that being said, I want to bring our guests in. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. And I didn't even catch this I mean, before we started recording, but are you still located in Eldorado Hills? No, I'm not in Eldorado Hills. I'm in Roseville now, but okay. still the same area. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So close by. And so with your business, you have clients that are, you know, all over the Sacramento area, I'm guessing, or? Yeah. So my local clients are all over the Sacramento area, anywhere from Sacramento, like up to rescue and everywhere in between. So okay. I'm driving all over the place. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I know that I definitely have a lot of listeners who are in that area, so I would not be surprised if a few people reach out to you after hearing this and hearing more about your business and what you're doing. But before we jump right into that, like I said, I do kind of want to backtrack and hear more about your story and your basketball career ended because it sounded sounds like that really propelled you forward into having this idea to build your own dog training business. 
And that's just something that I think is I really love to talk about in this podcast. And I really love to hear about from my the people that I'm interviewing, my guests, because I think other people can relate to that. Right. I think sometimes when we're going through a really hard time, it's hard to imagine how we're going to get out of that, how we're going to create a new path forward. But there's always a way. And it's really cool how sometimes one door can close and another door can open and it can end up being something that, like you said, you you had this passion for basketball, but, you know, now you have that same passion, but just for something else. And it's really worked out for you. So anyways, I would love to hear more about your story and how your basketball career ended, what that looked like, and then, you know, how you moved forward from there. Yeah, definitely. So um, after high school, I ended up going back east. I'm originally from Connecticut. So at the time, like graduating high school, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going back east. Like I'm not meant to live in California. I just had that mindset of I, I belonged back east. I really found out pretty quickly I belonged in California, but I feel like you just have to go through that to find out. But um, I ended up going to a small school in Newport, Rhode Island to play basketball. And um, at first, like things were going really well. And then I... So I had my foot injury back in senior year of high school. So that kind of like ended, you know, right. It was right before playoffs senior year of high school. So that was really challenging for me back then to have to miss like all playoffs. And then going into college, I was like, okay, I can redeem myself, you know? So I was like, I'm going to be a starter as a freshman. I was, you know, had all those like goals and ambitions. And I was like kind of the... The kid from California, because a small school in Newport, Rhode Island, everyone's from the Northeast. So I was kind of the outsider already, um, but I really just wanted to prove myself. So I just worked really hard, trained and and got there. And again, things were going well. And then I ended up re-injuring my foot like pretty quickly, the same one and later needed surgery on it. So it was already kind of the foot thing was the issue, but Honestly, like the main reason that basketball ended for me was because I was diagnosed with Lyme disease and that was physically and mentally, I was really sick. I had, I had Lyme and I had a co-infection called Babesia. So, I mean, it really cut me out and there was like no recovery from that to be able to play basketball. And then on top of my foot injuries, it was kind of like multiple medical issues um, that happened there um, that I ended up like after just one semester having to come home um, to recover back in California. And then at that point, I just knew I was meant to stay. And and that was kind of it for basketball for me. What was the foot injury that you were experiencing? I'm just curious. Yeah. So I broke my navicular accessory in my foot. So um, it's essentially in the arch of the foot. Not everyone has one. So I don't know if people really know what it is, but it's like an extra bone in the foot, in the arch of the foot. So I broke that senior year of high school. And then I essentially like rebroke it in college um, to the point where they actually had to remove it. So the surgery was like removing that extra bone and then like cinching everything else together yeah Yeah, uh, it was very very painful oh I'm sure that does not sound fun and then to re-break it right it feels like sometimes when you have an injury like that and then you redo it it's hard to come back from or 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 even hard to feel comfortable continuing to do the same thing which is causing it potentially even though that's probably yeah yeah definitely yeah because when I initially broke it in high school um it was again like we were starting playoffs I think we were like already kind of in them it was right in the beginning and I was in denial that it was broken so you could see almost like a bone was sticking out of 
like the arch of my foot, not out of the skin, but it was out of, out of place. And I played on it for like over three weeks before like actually, you know, my mom forced me to go get x-rays because initially when it happened, I did get x-rays, but they did ankle x-rays. They were like, oh, it's just a sprain. And then later on, they were like, no, you need a butt x-rays. Your foot's broken. And I was like, oh, shoot, like that's not good. Okay, so you had the foot injury, but then you mentioned, you know, there's also this Lyme disease part, too. And like you had to go home even just after your first semester at college. So were you experiencing symptoms of Lyme disease in that first semester? And like, did you already know you had it or was that a process you had to go through later on to figure out? Yeah, I was experiencing a lot of the symptoms, but nobody could figure it out then. I like no one had any idea uh, what was going on. So it wasn't until later I ended up going back home because I was so sick, like I couldn't function. And um, it was is even it was not right away at home either. Like I can't even remember. It was so long ago. I can't even remember like what triggered me to go see a specialist and get all the the blood work and like the diagnosis for it. But after I did, like everything made sense. I know that that is the, that's the reason I asked, because I know that that is one of those illnesses that can be like infuriating, you know, so frustrating for a while because you do just, you know, something is off with your body and you know that you're sick and you're like not able to do the things that you know you should be able to do. But it's one of those things. It's just hard to like put your finger on until you do, till you have a doctor that's like, hey, let's do these blood tests and and rule things out and and then you find that out so i'm sure that that was quite the process and very challenging to to have to leave school after just a semester and I bet in a way it felt like you didn't even get to give it a chance, but you didn't really even have another choice at that point. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it when I said like I felt like my life is over, that's literally what, what it felt like because I felt like just like, you know, the program we had back in high school was a really great basketball program and it really was stepping up the, the players who wanted to go play in college to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I had literally worked so hard to get to that college level and it's all I ever wanted to do. So then when it ended, not only because of like a foot injury, because I probably could have come back from that, you know, even having a surgery, I probably could have recovered from that. But it was more like the Lyme disease that is that was such a long process of healing from that. I mean, it really took years to get myself back to the back to normal. So that was the hardest part was like, I felt robbed from my college experience because of having to come home so early. And so what did that look like for you? Like once you got home, it sounds like you definitely went through a process of you needing to feel better. So that I'm sure was your priority. But, you know, where did you end up? Did you end up going to college, you know, in that area or? Yeah, yeah. So um, getting better was definitely the priority. And that did take a lot of time and trial and error of what would work best for the recovery. But um, I ended up enrolling at Folsom Lake College. And um, I just, you know, I I just kept saying to myself, well, I just want to start somewhere. So I might as well just go to community college. And I got my associate's degree. And um, that's actually where I met Austin, my fiance. So I feel like that was you know, all definitely meant to be, you know, for that reason alone. It's so cool. You're like, it's really hard in the moment when you're going through this hard time. And I kind of referred to this before to even for a second think, well, something good could come out of this or like maybe this is meant to be because no one wants to be thinking that like when you're going through this hard moment or you're having to totally pivot from what you felt like your plan was for so long and what you had worked for. But it is such a cool moment, I think, when we do get to look back and in hindsight be like, well, 
yeah, I would have never met my husband if it wasn't for this major pivot in my life that I had to take. So in a way, maybe it was meant to be. But it's hard to have that moment, have that feeling in the moment, you know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, looking back, it was exactly what needed to happen happened. But living through it was very, very challenging. So I'm I'm just glad it brought me to not only like meeting him, but again, like being able to start my business later on, too. Because I feel like if I stayed back east and did the whole college basketball thing, I would have been on a whole different path. Am now. Do you feel like that whole experience? So, like going to college over on the East Coast, having to come back for a couple different reasons, having like fighting this disease, like, do you stand where you are now and feel like you have certain skills that maybe like you wouldn't have had otherwise? Or, you know, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Definitely. I really do. And just I think like advocating for my health really came from that because I did see several doctors and nobody could figure out what was going on. And I've had to be the one to say like, no, seriously, like this, something is wrong. And I wouldn't stop until I figured it out. And then once I got like the treatment that I needed, like everything changed. I was, you know, being, I was able to live a normal life again. And I think like the hard part with Lyme disease is that once it's in your system, it doesn't really fully go away. So um, it's definitely, it definitely gets triggered, um, especially through like stressful times in my life. Some of the symptoms come back, but not to the point where I have to be on the antibiotics and all the different herbs and things I was on to get the symptoms to go away. But I think that's the main thing I learned is like, you have to advocate for your health when something is wrong. And especially it's funny because I when we get into the dog training stuff, I'm always telling my clients you have to advocate for your dog. So I feel like I learned a lot through my own experiences that brought me into what I was really meant to do, which was own a business and train dogs. Yeah. What a cool transferable skill. I mean, advocating for your health is something that I'm sure actually a lot of people don't learn until like older in age where you end up in the doctor's office so much more often and like more likely to have something else going on. And then you, you know, learn in that moment, okay, I got to like speak up for myself, but to learn it, you know, at such a young age. And I, it sounds like it's transferred over not only to just your health, but like advocating for yourself, advocating, you know, also for your dog and your business. Okay. So then at some point you got this internship, like you said, you didn't even have a dog of your own, but you got this internship talk to us about that. Like, what was the internship and how did that get you, you know, starting to think about potentially starting your own business? Yeah. So, um, I was actually working at a fitness, like planning and equipment company. I was doing purchasing for them and I was doing that full time, but always in the background, I just wanted to be a dog trainer. Like I would just be like Googling every night, how to be a dog trainer. What do I have to do to be a dog trainer? And for whatever reason, I was just really drawn to that. Um, I just felt like with all the Googling I was doing, there was no clear path. I mean, some of these programs you could do online, but then it was also in person, but they were over $5,000 paying out of pocket. And I just felt like if I did one of those online programs at the time when I wanted to get started, I'm like, how would I get clients? How would I like be able to do this? You know, it just, it felt like a really hard place to start. So I ended up finding a kennel that was like right around the corner from where I was working, um, my normal job. Um, I basically reached out to them and said, Hey, like, how do, what do your dog trainers do to become dog trainers? Like, do they get certified? Like, what do they do? 
And the response was hilarious. It was, they're not certified. If you want a free internship, come talk to us. Oh you know, gosh. or if you want a free, if you want an unpaid internship, come talk to us. That's what it was. And I was like, okay, well, I have no other options. So I ended up meeting with them. It went really well. I started like a couple of days later and I basically continued to work my normal full-time job. And then on nights and weekends, I would go be on volunteer slash intern at this place. And I was just like thrown into it so fast. I mean, it was very open. Um, this was not like your average kennel that had like tiny little dogs, um, that kind of thing. I mean, I was working with German Shepherds, Belgian Malinois, Dobermans, Rot Rot Rottweilers, like all of like the really intense working breeds. And here I am, like, I know nothing about dogs and they did just throw me into it, but that was honestly like the best thing for me because I learned so much and like getting that hands-on experience was amazing to really for one teach me that I absolutely loved dog training it was meant for it was what I was meant to do um and then also I it just felt like a really good place to be instead of trying to start something online one of the common themes I feel like I've learned from a lot of the guests that I've interviewed especially guests who have their own businesses is there was just like this one moment where like you said there's no blueprint it's not like you know you're going to go be a doctor, which is its own challenge in and of itself. But there's kind of like a blueprint on how you're going to go do that for the most part, right? Yeah, there's there's no blueprint. There's no exact ladder. This is the ladder you have to climb to get here. But they all, you know, and in, including in the story you just told, there's all like, th there's just one moment, right? There's just one moment where you decide, I'm just going to take like one step forward to see if this is something that I want to do or to see if I can figure this out. And for you, it was like just reaching out to that kennel, right? Like just reaching out to that kennel. You didn't even know if they were going to email you back, right? Let alone be like, hey, come join our team and, and figure this out. This may like change the trajectory of your career. But like you took that step. And I think for a lot of people, that's actually very challenging to do is just like take that first step. But it can be so impactful. So that's, you know, so cool that you did that. And, you know, what, what do you feel like allowed you to do that allowed you to be like, hey, I'm just going to like put myself out there and see if this is something that works. Yeah, it's funny, because I remember like kind of stalking their website for months before reaching out. And I'm just like, man, like, this is super cool. This is exactly what I'm looking for. And I think I had reached out to other places too, kind of with the same question, but I would get responses, but it, it was nothing that was really any help to me. Um, I, so then I was like, okay, well, what's like one more? Like, why don't I just do it? And I think it was one of those moments where I typed out the email and I sat and stared at it for like probably a good 15 minutes. And then I was kind of like, screw it, send, you know, we'll see what happens. And um, it was hilarious because when I had worked there for a while and I told them that story, they were like, oh, that's so funny because we haven't updated our website in like five years. <laughs> so it was just funny because they, they like they were just the type of people that were like, we don't even know what's on our website, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But this just keeps kind of bringing me back. I just heard this thing recently. It was actually from Gary Vee. And it was something along the lines of like, if you're in your 20s, if you're in your 30s, even if you're in your 40s, just try a bunch of things. Like, don't be afraid to just put yourself out there to pivot, to go from one career to the next, to like start your own business. He was kind of saying something along those lines. I'm not quoting him exactly, but it kind of stuck with me for some reason. And I think it's just because 
I don't know if this comes from maybe like our parents' generation potentially, but this feeling of just like, well, I pick a career and then I like stick with it, right? Or like if I'm going to be as bold as, you know, starting my own business, I better stick with it. I better like see it out until I either like succeed or I, you know, fail <laughs> or I, you know, just like die with this company that I've started. And but I that just doesn't need to be the case. Right. And I think that's what he was trying to say in his quote. And I feel like, you know, again, this just what your story is bringing me back to that because you're like, hey, I'm just going to give this other thing a try like dog training. But, you know, you're just like, hey, I'm going to this is something this is a passion of my mind and I'm going to see if I can figure it out, which I think is really cool. But back to your internship. So you mentioned how you kind of just got thrown into it with even some of these breeds who you know, historically might be harder dogs to train or more aggressive dogs. Did you ever have like scary moments during that internship or like moments where you were like, what am I doing? Is this actually what I want to do? Like, do you have any story there or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. So um, the cool thing about the kennel that I interned for was they did so many things. It wasn't just boarding. It was behavior modification, obedience. It was um, protection training. So all of the bite work, it was breeding. Like it was, it really just got me a really good, like full rounded experience when it comes to getting into the dog world. And um, it was funny because one of the first days they were like, okay, so this is kind of your like initiation. And I was like, uh, so what? And they were like, you have to get in the bite suit. You have to take a bite from a dog. And then I was like, okay. Like I was so excited. <laughs> it was funny, but um, I was, I was actually like really excited because I had been observing the protection nights. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And, um, I, the one night, you know, yeah, you got to get in the bike suit. I was wearing shorts and you really should be wearing pants and all of that. And they just wanted me to put like the, um, the jacket on and not like the whole suit that day. So I just wore the jacket and here they are saying, oh, your legs are going to get bent. Your legs are going to get scratched. And luckily the dog that they had biting me in the suit was like pretty gentle. So it wasn't, it wasn't that bad, um, but I actually like ended up doing a lot of like, it's called decoying when you're in the bite suit. I actually ended up doing a lot of that for that. And um, that was like an adrenaline rush. Like I can't even explain the moment where you're on one side of the field and you have a Belgian Malinois who is like training to be a canine for, you know, a police department is running at you full speed, ready to tackle you to the ground. I mean, that is an adrenaline rush like you have never imagined. Oh my gosh. So wait, walk me through that. So they like, they come at you and they actually get you, right? Like they actually yeah. do tackle you. Yeah. So there's a whole like training process behind it. Um, There's a whole process of like starting without the bite suit. They have to work their way up to the bite suit. So by that point, the dog has a good foundation and knows what they're doing so that like they're not going to just like bite you in the butt or bite you like in the back you know like they're they're learned to target certain areas of the suit so like um like on your bicep or your tricep or on like your like your um area if you're wearing like the full suit they're trained already to do that so Knowing that makes it a little bit easier when you're in the suit because you're like, okay, like this is a dog that knows that when you ask them to um, come off the bite, they will. Um, they know exactly where to bite and all that. So 
Yeah, you essentially, in the beginning, you kind of just like hold your arm up of where you want the dog to target to. Um, I think just because of my size and um, the strong dogs that were training there, I it's called a takedown when the dog, you know, takes you to the ground. And that happened to me all the time because I just I couldn't figure out how to like stand my ground. And then once like the trainers there would help me like understand my stance and everything and feel more comfortable, I felt more confident in like being able to stand up. But yeah, it's definitely the suit also too, even though it's like big and bulky, the suit does not like fully protect you. You feel everything. Like you literally, my arms would be bruised, like like completely black and blue um from through the suit and you feel like a constant sensation of pinching so it's just like you're it's you know when the bite happens just pinch 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 pinch, and it just is latching on yeah it's painful but for some reason I loved it oh my gosh so at some point you were just like volunteering to be this person it sounds like oh definitely yeah I was actually like training to be a decoy because I just loved it so much it was a whole other side of dog training that I found just fascinating and really cool. So yeah, I was actually volunteering for it. Wow. And so the suit, so the suit stops probably the teeth from being able to actually go in you, but you, like you're saying, you still feel like the pinch. So that's what's leaving the, the bruise. Got it. Okay. Yes, exactly. Got it. And is decoying something that you still do in your business now? No, it's not. I I kind of joke that my dogs are retired. I did while I was doing my internship and I actually worked at that kennel full time as well after the internship. And my two dogs, I was training them in protection the entire time. And the hard part about like the bite nights, protection nights, where where they didn't start until 7 p.m. And sometimes they would go till three in the morning. Like they would go all night. And I was working 13 and a half hour days when I worked there full time on top of staying there all night. So, I mean, there were days where I was there like 18 hours and it was, it was a lot. So um, when I left, I kind of joked my dogs, my dogs retired from bite work and I retired as a decoy as well. Like my body just was not able to handle it. And um, I just decided not to move forward with like that side of dog training, but I still like very much enjoy it and have a good friend who, um, who runs a whole protection training. So I occasionally will, will go out and bring the dogs there, but I haven't gotten back in the suit in a long time. Okay. Okay. So that has become something that was maybe part of your youth in this career and you graduated. And yes, I would on. 100% yeah. agree with that. <laughs> okay. Got it. So, okay. Well, talk to us a little bit about how then you went from this internship to having this idea of like, okay, maybe I want to start my own business and, and do this for my, for my own and train dogs. Yeah. So when I first was like researching about dog training, I always wanted to own my own business. I think even like growing up as a child, I all like when those questions were, what do you want to be when you grow up? I always wanted to be a business owner. I just never knew what that looked like for me. So I knew once I found dog training, I was like, okay, this is my opportunity to be a business owner. So I had that mindset. And then because it didn't really happen the way I anticipated it to happen or planned on it to happen. I went from the internship to working full-time at the kennel. And then again, like the hours were very long and exhausting. And I had some of the issues with Lyme disease kind of come back under all that stress and sleep deprivation. So 
I ended up um, leaving and this is when I just like quit without a plan type of thing. I just was burnt out and needed a break and I ended up quitting and then um, just taking a breather and I was like, okay, this is time to get my health back together and also figure out my next move. And then I had people reaching out to me who were not even part of the kennel at all. None of my clients from the kennel or people I worked with reached out to me for training. It was completely like random. Some people from high school actually reached out and were like, hey, are you still a dog trainer? I need help with my dog. And I just was like, yeah, I am. And started seeing them. And then I was like getting more and more without trying at all. It was just coming to me. So then I was like, well, I think it's a good time to start my business. So that's really how it happened. That's that's really cool. Just out of curiosity, was this like during the pandemic? Yes, it was. When was so my business officially started December 2020. That was when I got my business license. And it was probably like just kind of helping people out before that started in like end of October, November. So yeah, that was like all during the pandemic. Really cool. Yeah, I I felt like maybe that was the case for a couple of reasons, but one being in, in you probably have a you could tell me if this is true or not, but I feel like so many people got dogs during the pandemic. So then it's like, you know, maybe even an increase in need for then training the the puppies or, you know, younger dogs. Is that what you were seeing? Yeah, yeah. A ton of people got dogs. But then the other thing, too, was that not only were people getting new dogs, but people who were used to working at offices were now working at home. So then that True. caused a ton of issues because people were having Zoom meetings. They weren't used to being home all the time. So then I think the bad behaviors of dogs really came out because they weren't used to being there with them as much. Um, so there are a lot of issues that came from that. And then also when when things started to ease up and people started going back to work, um, then there were even more issues because now we had like more cases of separation anxiety and, you know, all those puppies that were brought home during that time where their owner never left are now going back to work full time. So definitely um a, a big time for dog training during the pandemic we joke about this because we you know the pandemic happened and then actually both core and i switched to having fully remote jobs and have never gone back which as you can imagine our dog dogs absolutely love because we're with them like 24 7 we you know because not only do we work from home we also have a our own garage gym so we don't even leave to like work out you know so if we're leaving we're like gone for an hour or two and then we're coming home so we joke that if we like ever did have to or decide to go back to jobs that were in an office or yeah just not at home our dogs would be distraught and like have no idea what was going on because they're so spoiled where they're little couch buddies all day long so so tell me about your business and like what that looks like from a day-to-day you know, activity for you? Like, are you going to other people's houses and seeing their dogs or do you have a location people come to or what does that look like? Yeah. So when I first started the business, um, I, I started this thing called Adventure Time. And basically what that was, was I would go to people's houses, I would pick up their dog and I would take it out for two hours and I would go hiking. I would go to different stores. I would train them at a park. Like, I kind of did all the training myself, and that was really what I was used to um, during my internship and working full time at the kennel. People would drop their dogs off for the day, and I would train them all throughout the day and then send them home at night. So 
when I started my business, I was like, okay, well, I have to kind of stick to something I know, which is just the dogs. And then I realized really quickly that that was like, like my gas tank was, was really, you know, the price of gas was really high and I was driving all over the place to pick dogs up and take them places. And it just like financially wasn't making sense because I was kind of like losing money on that. Um, but it really got my business started quickly. I mean, it re- people were very, very interested in that. So it, it really got it off the ground. And then I started working like one-on-one with clients going to their houses. Um, and that's where I was like, yes, this is what I'm meant to do. I love working with owners and working with their dogs too. So that's kind of how it started in the beginning. Um, now what I do is I do in-home sessions. I also do like designated location sessions. So meeting at a park, meeting at a store, um, you know, pretty much anywhere I feel like the dog needs or the owner. Like this morning, I did a session with someone at a coffee shop, you know, because they want to take their dog to a coffee shop with them, sit outside and have them well behaved. So we did the whole session outside of the coffee shop. So um, I pretty much do like all of that. And the day-to-day really looks like um, I typically see anywhere from three to four in-person clients a day. And then um, my virtual clients are kind of just mixed in there or whenever. And then I have like a whole bunch of like back-end business things that I'm constantly doing as far as like tracking all my miles and my expenses and all of that kind of stuff gets, gets mixed in there as well. All the fun stuff, right? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. How did the coffee shop appointment go? I want to know because it's so funny you bring that up because literally we talked about, I just mentioned how we work from home. We just talked about, you know, the weather's turning nice and there's some cool places in town where you can go and sit outside. We're like, hey, tomorrow let's go walk downtown, bring our dogs and, you know, sit at a coffee shop and try and work and see how it goes. But I'm very skeptical because I'm not sure our dogs are just going to like, you know, lay down and relax like we would like them to. So anyways, how did it go? Yeah, so it actually went really well. Um, I've been working with this client for a really long time. She just like loves the training. So she just keeps coming back. And um, there was a moment where she actually brought her daughter's dog with her. It was kind of like last minute. She had to bring both the dogs. So there was a moment where it was challenging because another dog passed and her dogs went like full reactive mode on this other dog. So we kind of had to like readjust our plan with that. But it ended up working really well because that dog sat like two tables from us. And normally when dogs react to another dog, the dog just leaves because they're just passing. They're going by on their walk. So then the reactive dog learns that if they bark at them, it gets that dog to go away. So this was a really great training opportunity because the dog stayed there. So we got a chance to work them through calming down around the distraction of another dog. Um, And what was really great was she was directing her one dog to sit under the chair, um, which is very helpful because under the chair is kind of like a treat in itself. It's, It's where the dog is a little bit covered. And we just put him in a down stay under the chair and then just drank coffee. And anytime he would get up, we would just put him back into that position. Um, so I really like, I think the biggest thing when you take your dog somewhere is you have to give them something to do. You have to put them in a sit, put them in a down. Like you can't just expect them to like wander and do that on their own. You've got to give them a job while you're there. And then, um, the other thing too, is that sometimes I also like when you're sitting in the chair, putting your dog underneath your legs too, because that also kind of creates that barrier and just helps them stay in position rather than just wandering. 
Okay, I love it because I was I was going to ask, like, if you had one tip, what would it be so we can try it tomorrow and you gave it to me. So have them sit under the chair and would you have them, would you use like treats or anything or just, you know, hope that they stay under there? Like, yeah. Yeah, so you can definitely use treats. It really depends on the dog. So if the dog is really pushy for treats, like they get a treat and they're like calling at you and barking at you and like wanting more treats, I don't typically recommend treats in a moment like this. But if your dog like goes into the down and is nice and calm and you can like calmly feed them a treat and they stay in that position, it's great to use treats. I think anytime you're going out in public with your dog, you should have everything. Um, and then if you don't use the treats, that's fine, but at least you have them there. I'd rather like have a whole like fanny pack ready to go of everything I might possibly need with my dog and not use it than need it and not have it. That's a, that's a good call. Would you ever, is it like, would you use like a bone or something along those lines to have them lay and chew the bone? Or is that more of like a distraction? It's not really teaching them like, Hey, you're going to lay here. Cause I said so, or. Yeah, that's a good question. You definitely can. Um, most dogs, I feel like in that type of environment won't take a bone. Like they won't, they just won't really care because there's going to be like too much going on. Um, honestly, before you even take your dog out to like a public place like a coffee shop, especially when you're trying to work, I would start the process at home. I would literally have them leashed like in your living room and like set up your laptop and like everything you would use to be working and practice that same process of like having them or you can use like a kitchen chair because then you might be able to get them to go underneath it. Um, but work like at home with them leashed and laying down next to you and see what kind of behaviors that bring. Um, I think if you're planning on doing it tomorrow, you can do it, but have very low expectations for your dog and just have that understanding that, yeah, we're probably not going to get a lot of work done here, but we're at least going to get some good exposure for our dogs and realize what we need to work on for next time. I've, going in with low expectations, like, yeah, that's a very good piece of advice. I <laughs> I think I was kind of doing that already. I think one of our dogs, our younger dog, Cannon, he's going to want to jump into our lap and sit in our lap. And that is a behavior that we have <laughs> reinforced in a bad way. So anyways, we'll just have fun with it, see how it goes tomorrow. But you had mentioned that, I think you had mentioned that you have virtual clients. Was that right? Yes, I so, do. So yeah, this is something that I started in January. Um, so much of dog training is human training. It really is. I mean, I can't even tell you the amount of times I've gone over to a client's house and they have asked me questions for 45 minutes of the hour session. Like it's like, you know, and, um, so I just like, I can, I can really get more out of the sessions with my clients if I offer something virtually, and then we can save the in-person training for the actual training, you know? Yeah. So um, and then also too, with Instagram and social media, um, I was getting people from all over reaching out for help. So I figured I might as well start offering that too. So, um, I do sessions over zoom. I just call it dog owner coaching because I don't want people to think I'm, I'm helping them with obedience training with their dog. Cause that's something I really like to do in person. But when it comes to like behavior issues, you know, like excessive barking or jumping or Whatever it is, there's so many things we can work on virtually. So um, I basically just call it dog owner coaching, do it over Zoom, and um, I'm able to work with clients like all over the world with that. No, that's really smart. Like you said, I mean, you can reach kind of anyone with that. And yeah, as a as a dog owner myself, I feel like I could definitely sit here and just ask you questions for, for an hour. So um, I'm sure people get a lot out of that. 
Um, I wanted to ask you, this is a little bit controversial, so we'll see if you even want to answer it, but do you have specific breeds that you really like working with that you don't like working with? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I would just put this out there in case any of my clients listen. I love working with all dogs. I love all breeds. Um, my least favorite are chihuahuas, honestly. Um, the reason is because, like, usually they do not want to work. Like, they have no interest in doing the training. And that makes it, like, very challenging to work with them. I will say I had one client who had two chihuahuas, and they were amazing. Like, they wanted to do the training. They loved it. They got so much out of it. And um, that was amazing. But there's the only two I've ever worked with that like had that really want to learn and and do things. Um, so that made it a lot easier. Um, there's so many breeds that I love, honestly. Like I'm really a fan of big dogs. Um, I had a small dog growing up. Um, but I just, I love working with big dogs. And like Malinois, I've loved my own Malinois. Working with other people's Malinois is challenging because... Um, you really have to have a lot of experience to have a dog like that. And that kind of goes the same with German Shepherds too. They're like in the same category. I would say like my favorites are honestly like Labs and Golden Retrievers and and Beagles. I just love Beagles. Oh, they're so cute. And are, do Beagles want to work? Like, are they into the training? Yeah, it really depends. Honestly, okay. I have one um, pocket beagle that I trained. So that's like a miniature beagle. And she's amazing. Like she is so much fun. She loves to work. Um, the hardest part with beagles is like their noses are so strong. So the focus can be challenging. Um, I've always absolutely loved beagles. So um, I think though I got really lucky with the one that I trained because she does absolutely love the training where I've definitely like worked with beagles in the past who all they do is like nose to the ground and it's very hard to get them to do anything else other than smell. This might be a naive question, but is a dog that is more in tune to like food easier to train because you can have like their kibble or their treats to like get them to learn things or do things? Absolutely. Yeah. A food-driven dog is like my favorite, you know, because you can do so much with them and they really do want to do the work and that makes it a lot easier. A lot of times when a dog is really motivated with food, that means they're also motivated with toys and like other things that you can work with them on. So um, it's easy to like change up what your reward is when you have a dog that's just motivated in general. And I always will test that with the food first. Um, I work with several dogs who are not big into food and that's fine. We just take a different approach with it, but it definitely is more challenging. And I think it's more frustrating for the owner because they really want to be able to like give their dog like the highest reward. And the dog is just like this the whole time. Like they just no interest in it. So yeah. I always tell my clients, I'm like, if your dog will not take the food, do not force it because you're just making it worse when you're like trying to shove a treat in their mouth. So, um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of training you can do without food, but it's, it does make it easier when the dog is motivated for their food. Okay. Only a couple more questions, but I'm curious, is there one thing that you really like training a dog to do or like teaching a dog to do? I love working on recall with dogs. That's probably, and, and loose leash walking. Those are probably like my name too. Um, just because I feel like if there is ever like a disconnect in the relationship between the dog and the owner, you're going to see it during recall and you're going to see it during loose leash walking. 
So those are like my main two, like every dog I train, I have to do those things with because um, I just feel like they're so important. And I, I just feel like um, you can, me from the trainer mindset, it really helps me see where that disconnect is with the client and the dog. Um, if they're calling their dog to them and the dog's like going the other way, you know, or if they're walking and all the dog is doing is pulling and reacting at everything they see, then I can really like break down where the disconnect is and then we can get through to the dog much easier and faster. Yeah. Oh man, you're making me feel like I, my dogs need some training. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we already knew that. We already knew that. We just, um, yeah, have not taken the time to to do so. Actually, our dogs are really good. We have two miniature gold noodles. I don't know if you've you know seen them on Instagram or anything like that, but they're very good dogs, but they do get minds of their own sometimes. Anyways, well, <laughs> Um, what do you see for Hollow Start Canine and yourself in the future? You know, it sounds like it has adapted quite a bit already since you started it and um officially the end of 2020. But yeah, is there anything like exciting that you have planned coming up? You kind of see it kind of going in the same direction it's going right now, or what do you think? Yeah, definitely. So I'm really working hard on like building an online community right now. Um, I've just seen like the power of social media and how many people you can reach and how many people really need help with their dogs. So I'm working on a few programs right now um, that I'm going to be selling. And then also a whole like membership page where um, people will be able to go in. It's going to be like kind of like a community where I'm able to like answer questions um, to everyone there. And also I'm going to have like all different sections of videos and instructional videos of um, things people can do at home. So if they're not able to, you know, do in-person training or afford it, because it can be expensive, this is going to be like a, a, you know, another way for them to get access to my training. So I'm planning on um, launching all of that this summer, as well as like redoing all of my website. So I'm definitely excited about um, getting like that portion of the business going. Cause I think in the beginning, I focused so much on like the local in-person training. Um, so now I'm still going to be focusing on that, but also just um, opening up more doors for um, the online community as well. Very cool. I'm excited to see that. And I know that something like that takes a lot of work, especially on the front end to like make all the instructional videos and put together all the information and get the platform ready. Um, so I'm sure you're put put in a lot of work to get that done but then the cool thing is once it's done it's kind of done you can always you can always update it and and you know add to it but um once the platform is ready it's kind of ready which is a cool cool piece of that yeah definitely so i'm really excited about that and then to answer the other side of your question for me in the future i'm getting married next year so lots of wedding planning going on and um eventually we'll be starting a family so i'm excited for that as well very cool. Um, so next year, like when, what, what month are you getting married? It's going to be June of 2024. Okay. And do you have a spot picked out? We do. Yeah. It's going to be up in Apple Hills in Camino. Oh, that's going to be so pretty. Yeah. That's exciting. Well, congrats. That's, that's really exciting. And sounds like you guys, yeah, have a lot of exciting things going on right now. So that's awesome. Well, I, Thank you so much for for doing this. But before I do let you go, we have to do our rapid fire round, which I do with all of my guests before um, we you know end the interview. So basically, it's five questions, and the goal is uh, for you to answer them in just one word to one sentence max. Okay, so are you ready for it? I'm ready. Okay, cool. So question number one is: If you could have another dog of your own tomorrow, what breed would you pick? 
Lab. Like, nice. Okay, number two, what is the biggest challenge you are currently facing right now in your business? The people, the dogs are easy. <laughs> That's the perfect answer. And also, I want to go back to question number one. What color lab would you get? Ooh, that's hard. I'm I'm kind of going between like a black lab and a yellow lab, but honestly, like I'll probably end up getting both. <laughs> the next time <laughs> I, go. the next round of dogs we get will probably be both. <laughs> Why not? Why not? All right, number three. What is something you have been doing for fun lately? Movies. Ooh, any good ones that you've seen lately? Oh my gosh, so many. Guardians of the Galaxy was probably the the most recent best one we've seen. We're huge Marvel fans. I can't believe we have not gone out and seen it yet, um, but it is on our list. So yeah, hopefully you we go should. It's soon. really good. <laughs> nice. All right. Number four, what is inspiring you about life right now? My family and the future. Yeah. Awesome. And number five, what's the best advice you've ever received? Oh, take time for your mental health. Oh, yes. That's so important. I'm so glad that you said that on this podcast too, because I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast know that, but whether they actually take that advice or not is another another thing. So um, thank you for sharing that. But so before I let you go, I just want to tell my audience that you can follow Kate and her business, Hollow Stark Canine, on Instagram at Hollow Stark Canine. I will also link that in the episode description so you can just click that for easy access. I'll also link her website and a few other things that she has linked to her link tree um, that, that you can access if you want to learn more about what she offers and even, you know, get in contact with Kate if you are in the Sacramento area or, you know, like she mentioned, she does a lot of virtual stuff as well. So if you want to get in contact with her, you can do that through there. I also wanted to ask you, Kate, you have a coupon code for, I think it's, what, what is it? Ultra oils or Ulta oils? Yeah, ultra oil. Yeah. So that is um, a supplement I've been using for years with my dog. So it's um, for coat and skin health. So it's like a fish oil, but it's more than that because it, it really like helps keep the coat like nice and shiny and soft. And then it's also really good for allergies. Aria, one of my dogs has insane allergies and it's really helped her. So um, I've used that with them. So I have a 20% off code with them. And then they also just came out with a joint supplement, which is great for reducing inflammation and um, just overall joint health, which is really important for dogs as well. So yeah, big fan of their products. Okay, cool. Yeah. So there is a link to that coupon code as well. If anyone here listening has a dog and wants to try out Ultra Oils. So yeah. Thank you so much, Kate. It's been really awesome having you on the podcast. I appreciate um, you taking the time to do this and I hope we get to chat again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. So I'll leave all of you guys with this like I always do. Changing your path will not be easy. It will be challenging. Kate talked about some of those challenges she went through today. I'll say that over and over again, but it will be so worth it. So do a self-check today. Are you on your path up your mountain? And if not, what path are you on? 